Thank you, Michael. And thank you for reading that not short, uh, but I promise it is sharp uh, uh, passage. It's, it's uh, about as challenging a uh, passage of the scriptures uh, as you will come across uh, these verses. And uh, my prayer for us is that uh, we, we face that challenge. We see the seriousness of these verses uh, together. And uh, it may not always be comfortable, but it will be good for us. Uh, so let me pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak a word uh, that falls like rain, that uh, is exactly what we need to, to grow and for, for sustaining life. And so we pray, Father, that as you speak it, the, the, the ground of our hearts be not hard, but soft, ready to receive, ready to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, again, on that handout where the safe ministry notice was on the front is uh, an outline of uh, where we're heading as we look at this passage together. Uh, his name is Ken. And when I met him, he was 98 years old in a nursing home in South Yorkshire, uh, about the most Spartan nursing home I've ever come across, uh, a room with just a bed and a, a light and a blanket, uh, more of a prison than a palace. Uh, but the man that I met in that room had a heart that pulsed with life. Uh, life soaked in the word of God's grace. Uh, a life that had grown strong and stronger over time in that word. And I went there to share the word with him, but the, the transaction went the other way. Uh, her name is Wilma. And I met her in a tiny apartment in Parramatta. Uh, she had lived a life uh, that had been buffeted and marked by more trouble and more loss than I suspect most of us will ever experience. Uh, but even now, uh, some 20 odd years on from uh, meeting Wilma, uh, her heart still makes me smile. Uh, it was a heart, even with all that had been thrown at her, that had been made soft and strong by this word of grace that God speaks to us. He was a heart that was still leaning on God's grace despite everything that had happened and a heart that was longing for and heading for home. Uh, his name is Greg, and he was my best friend. Uh, his journey only lasted 22 years. And what remains for me is the memory of a friend who'd come to faith in the Lord Jesus around the age of 12, and in the space of just 10 years had grown into a giant of the faith, again built on this word of grace. Uh, he was only 22 when he died, but he was already by that stage a very wise and old Christian man, and I miss him. Uh, all of them are now enjoying the rest that we've been hearing about in the book of Hebrews. All of them have reached what Hebrews calls the better country. They're there, they're, they've arrived, and, and I can't wait to join them there. I can't wait to see them again. But, but why they still encourage me, and they do, each one of them, is not just that they're now enjoying that rest, as good as that is. What inspires me is the way they walked home to that rest, whether it be a, a short walk of 20 years, whether it be a, a walk of, well, nearly 100 years. Uh, that path for each of them is marked by, well, a constant process of growth. Uh, they became more alive over time, even as death came close. Uh, they, they were building on the foundation of their faith in Jesus, a mighty house of faith in all the aspects of their life. And this book of Hebrews that we're working our way through, and we're about halfway through at the moment, uh, I wonder if you've sensed this. It's written to, to grow in us a longing for that better country, a longing for home. But, but more than that, it's also written to help us and encourage us and exhort us to, to keep growing as we head home. 
And so let me ask you as we reach the halfway point, how is your heart going? Uh, are you growing as a Christian? Are you becoming more alive because of the word that God speaks to us? Uh, this section of uh, Hebrews, the uh, latter part of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 uh, that we reach today is a word of uh, serious challenge for us as Christians. It will ask that question, are we growing? Is there a house being built on your faith in the Lord Jesus? Uh, and it's written because the author to, of the book of Hebrews uh, noticed signs in the Hebrews that he's writing to of the exact opposite of growth, of shrinking back, of immaturity not maturity and so it is for us a timely call to consider our own journey of faith whether that's a a recent journey whether you've been journeying for many years and to ask are we growing and so let's listen well and we're, we're in chapter 5 and we're starting in verse 11 and you'll see on the outline here's the first thing that the the author will say to the Hebrews you are not as grown up as you should be in chapters 4 and 5, he's begun to explain to them and to us as we read along that Jesus is our high priest and the, the details of that, the, the magnificently encouraging details of it. And he will come back to it in chapter 7. But here it seems, in between, he sort of anticipates that as, as the readers read this letter or as they hear him speak, that their, their eyes are starting to glaze over. I wonder if you know that feeling. You, you come to church and the preacher says, today we're going to be thinking about Jesus and how he is our high priest. And at that point, all of a sudden, the notice sheet looks very, very interesting. Or the new heaters, and you wonder, am I going to roast under this heater? Or your phone, or whatever it may be, anything but not another sermon about Jesus being our high priest, or whatever it may be. The author is commending Jesus to them, and as he senses them go into some, some sort of auto-listening mode thinking, uh, well, I hope this isn't one of the long sermons. He jolts them. Hey, are you listening? This is serious. You're shrinking back. You see what he says in verse 11? Uh, I, I want to tell you so much about Jesus, he says. Uh, I want to tell you about how good it is that he is your high priest. Uh, I want you to be confident in him. I want you to know the details of that. Uh, I want you to know the reality of who he is and how that changes things for you. But, but as I tell you about it, it, it's like you can't hear me. Uh, years ago in, in uh, my office, I had a, a sort of a cordless phone and it had one of those little hubs that you put the phone on and it was on a, like a 45 degree angle and of a morning I'd put my morning coffee there in, in front of the phone and I remember getting a phone call uh, one fateful morning and uh, at the end of the phone call I went to put it back on the, the dock but I missed the dock and it slid perfectly down the slide straight into the coffee. And uh, over the next two days, sort of drying out the phone, and it started working again. All was fine. But what would happen over time is that if somebody called me at about the five, ten-minute mark in, the, the voice on the other end would grow dimmer and dimmer and then eventually disappear altogether, which I've got to tell you is quite handy at times. <laughs> but that's exactly what the author is saying about the Hebrews and their hearing of God's word. It's like, it's like you're growing dull to it. It's like you don't want to listen anymore. Other voices have grown much louder than the voice, the word of Jesus Christ. Uh, for them, it's, as we'll see, it's legalism. It's uh, a retreat back to Judaism and the, the systems that they had then that, that seemed far much more strong and substantial. Those things grew more persuasive and louder in their ears. And the word of their high priest, the word of Jesus, is just dull background noise. 
I wonder what the voices that grow loud for us are, whether it be the voice of just our own self-interest or the voice of cultural atheism all around us saying, don't listen anymore. The voice of our busyness, the voice of our comfort. The word of Jesus Christ is competing against all of these voices and less and less seems to be getting through for the Hebrews and producing less and less growth as a result. And uh, it's as if the author has made a reunion trip to visit the Hebrews. He's expecting to see all sorts of growth that have come over time, but they've stood still. You see there, verse 12? Though by this time you, you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You still need milk, not solid food. If you were heeding the word of Jesus, he says, you would have grown up. What was he hoping to find? What growth was he looking for? Would you see it? Verse 12, you should be teaching by now yourself this word that's taught you. You see how God's word works? God's word should have matured them to the extent that they could actually speak that word to mature others. That's why God speaks his word. Reality is teaching the word of God, teaching the gospel is, is not a specialised task just for the few in a, in a church family. It's, it's the natural fruit that comes from taking seriously this word and learning of it yourself so that you can, well, teach others. Instead, verse 12, you need someone to take you through toddler training again, he says. He expected to find them out there teaching kids' church, but instead they are the kids happily playing with the cars and the sandpit still. Well, let me ask you again, what, what about you? Ha, has your life perhaps over time moved on, but not your faith? Has your life developed in all sorts of ways that you could see in your career or your family or whatever it may be? You can see development and growth, but, but your faith, has it stood still? If you're still back there, as the author says, an infant suckling on milk... Verse 13 says it, it, it may well mean that you never really got the word in the first place. This word of righteousness, he calls it. or In other words, the word of Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. And it, it's not that we haven't got it because it's too tricky, because it's not. It's because our heart has grown dull to it. Verse 13, he says this. It's a brilliant phrase. He says, they're not acquainted with the word of righteousness. Literally what it's saying is that your life and this word, they, they've hardly met. They, they're not, they don't know each other. You're unskilled in its use, he says. Uh, despite years of hearing the word, you've never worked out the implications of your faith. You, you've never applied it to your life. Ask the Hebrews how grace applies, this word of grace applies to their work life or their family life, or their use of money, or their approach to politics, or their attitude to sex, or their engagement with the culture around them, and they're, they're, they're clueless. Their life and the word have, have rarely met. Verse 14, this is what he had hoped to find. Mature people, growing people, people eating steaks, not breadsticks. Now, he's not saying here to be a mature Christian, you have to be an academic, you have to be a bookish type. He's not saying that at all. The picture instead of, is of those who over time have drunk deeply of God's word so that it does more than just keep them alive, it, it causes them to grow and, and flourish. That's what this word can do. They should, verse 14, have done that by making, you see, their constant use of the word. It's useful for this growth. 
Uh, these are verses that I think uh, present a really strong challenge for lazy Christians, and that's the word the passage uses, lazy. Those who would say, you know, I don't know my Bible very well, or, or I have a simple faith. Uh, now, if you say that, and if you mean by that you can't quote chapter and verse of the Bible, and you don't know who the eighth king of Israel is, I say, so what? But if you mean the, I only have a superficial relationship with Jesus... I know him no more now than I did five years ago. I have no interest in learning any more of the depths of my salvation. Then the author says that you're not as grown up as you should be. The sign of Christian maturity is, we're told here, constant use of the word of grace leading to godliness. There's no shortcut. And so I ask again from verse 14, are you still training in this word? Is it training you? Is it changing you? There's his first uh, comment to them. You're not as grown up as you should be. And here's the, the obvious follow-on from that. As we get into chapter 6, it's time to grow up. He says there, let's build on the foundation of this faith you have in the Lord Jesus. There should be a house on top of it. And do you see the foundation that's been laid by the gospel in verses 1 and 2? It, it's an incredible foundation. He speaks there of the foundation that's laid at the moment of conversion, the moment you repented and, and came to the Lord Jesus, a decisive turning away from the dead life that is life without the Lord Jesus. And instead, well, as the confirmees next Sunday night are going to say, I turn away from self-determined living, I turn to Christ. That's the moment the foundation was laid in your life. And then again, and we'll see this with the confirmees next week, the public declaration of that faith, where, where you say in confirmation or, or, or in baptism, uh, you publicly throw your lot in with Jesus. You stand before a congregation, you say, Christ is my king, I have no other. That's when the foundation was laid. And then part of the foundation, you see there, it talks about the laying on of hands, which is the moment we come to in our Christian lives, uh, hopefully early in our Christian lives, where we realise that being a Christian is about being sent out to, to teach this word to others. And finally, 6 verse 2, the foundation is laid in, in the way that it helps us see what is at stake in this world. That Jesus has indeed risen from the dead, that he is Lord and King and Judge, and that all people will one day stand before him. The foundation is knowing that is reality. A foundation that substantial, says the author, should have a house on it. And the author asks the Hebrews, where, where, where's the house? God's word should produce substantial building works in, in different aspects of our lives. And so I ask uh, the workers here this morning, does the fact that you live with Jesus as king and you heed his word impact the way you work? And is that impact building over time? Is it more substantial than it used to be? Uh, for the older folks uh, here, and I'll let you decide whether you're in that category, are you still building? Or are you enjoying the pension that, that sort of comes from earlier labours in the word? Are you still building? Let me ask this as we think about this, this question of growing or not growing. Why would we ever be happy, in the words of the end of chapter 5, being baby Christians? Here's my guess as to why we might be happy not to grow up. It's because growth always comes with growth pains. It's never easy, and we, we love comfort, and so we shrink back from it. 
But here in uh, chapter 6, verse 4 to 8, you see the danger of being happy, staying a baby. Here you see what God says to the one who loves comfort and begins to shrink back from the change that the word of God would bring to their life. These are, I think, about as strong a word as you will hear in the Bible, these next verses, verses 4 to 8. You see it there, verse 4? It is impossible. There's a strong word. Impossible. To keep growing if there was a time when you turned away from, all, uh, from that dead life without Christ, you turned to Christ that moment uh, when you were enlightened, he says, by the Spirit of God speaking the word of God into your life, when, when you tasted the gift of heaven, which is Jesus, and you saw how good he is and how precious it is to hear his voice. If you experienced in your life or started to the transforming work of the Spirit in your life, the, the, the Spirit actually changing you, which is signs of the, the age to come breaking in. To have all that, says the author, all of that, to have experienced some of that. And then over time to have grown dull to the sound of Jesus' voice until slowly you retreat from him and all he is to you. The author says, well, if that is you, the picture of such a person in verse 6 of chapter 6 is this. You need to know what has happened. You do not anymore stand with Christ at his cross, his throne of grace. Instead, you have walked back down the hill and you now stand with the crowd shouting, crucify him. Now, you might not say it out loud, but you may well have reached the point where you do not want him to call the tune in your life anymore. You do not want his word to change anything about your life. In fact, you would rather he is out of your life. Let me read these verses. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they, have crucified, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. This is a real warning written to real Christians. And we must feel the weight of it. This is indeed how God, the good shepherd, shepherds us. He speaks of real dangers for us. He gives real warnings. And the Bible contains real examples of those who, well, did not heed the warning. I mean, people like in the New Testament, you meet Demas, who were, were simply told this, who walked away because he loved the world. Now, it's important to say that the author is not saying here, if you ever shrink back in unbelief, that you can't repent. I mean, we started our service doing just that. Because we know that time and time again, we will shrink back. Time and time again, our hard-hearted unbelief will show itself. And we will need to come to him, as we saw at the end of chapter 4, for fresh grace and fresh forgiveness. We'll need that daily. But this is still a warning to us. Lest we get into the habit of no longer coming to him, resenting him in our life. This is a warning for those who would, in the end, mock God's grace and deliberately keep on sinning who would refuse to grow up. To such a person, God will say in Hebrews 10, to do that is trampling on the Son of God. 
and treating his precious blood as if it was to you nothing. Now, what are the implications of uh, this, well, very serious warning for those that, and I'm sure you'll know people like this, who we know and love, who have stopped growing, who seem to have walked away completely? Well, first, I want to say this. Be encouraged by the many biblical examples, Bible examples that we have of those who, like them, retreated and yet have come back. People like the, the Apostle Peter, who, well, about as deliberately as you can, said, I want nothing to do with Jesus. I do not know the man. And yet you read the John chapter 21, the, the magnificent restoration of his high priest, the Lord Jesus. There is a way back. But, and this is a word to myself as much as it is to any of you, because there are people in my own family and friends that I love who are, have walked away. If you are someone like me who waits for prodigals to return, we must not simply pretend. They seem to know him once. Surely they will again. You know, I think of my brother and I think uh, we, we in our teenage years walked with the Lord together. And somewhere in mid-high uh, school, he began to walk away. And uh, every step since has been a walk away. And in lots of ways, he is... Uh, respectable, mature, successful person. And, and yet things happen in his life. I think, well, maybe this is going to be the moment where, he, where the, the lights come back on and he realises his need for the Lord Jesus. But, but it hasn't happened. And what I must not do is pretend that it, that it has. Our prayer for them, indeed our prayer for ourselves, is well what we've heard all the way through the book of Hebrews today while it is still called today, if you hear his voice, the voice of God, do not harden your heart today. It's a daily warning for us. It's, it, it reminds us that while change is slow, it's inexorable, whichever direction it's going in. It's a warning spanning a lifetime of today's. Each day is an opportunity to either step back or towards maturity. Which will it be for you today? And so the author has spoken, I think, an incredibly sober and serious warning. You're not as grown up as you should be. It is time to grow up, otherwise you will shrink back. But, and this is wonderful, he ends with a, a brilliant word of encouragement for the Hebrews. You see there, verse 9 onwards of chapter 6, he, he says, I, I want you to feel the seriousness of this warning, but, but verse 9, I want you to know that when it comes to you, I'm confident of better things things that accompany salvation, things like growth. And he finishes with two reasons you should be confident, and I want you to be confident in these things as, as we finish this passage. Here's the first of them. God has seen your growth. In the past, even now, he's seen it. It should be a huge encouragement, uh, what the author says here. He says, basically, each bud of growth, each, each branch of growth in your life, even if it stops, start uh, along the way, he sees it and he acknowledges it and he loves it and it brings him pleasure. He delights as you lo your love for him grows stronger than your love for comfort. He's well pleased as you, your love for him grows even in a time of trial. He's stoked when he speaks his word and calls for change and you trust him. He delights when your, your love for him causes you to love others. Be assured, God says, I saw that 
And here's what I'm calling you to do. Keep building. Wherever you're at, whether you're just beginning the Christian journey, whether you're a, a long-time campaigner, whether you're new to this church, whether you're someone who, as we meet this morning, is right on the edge of giving up. He says, keep growing. Keep about this patient growth in my word of grace until the very end, until I call time for rest. Now, here's the other reason to be confident. It's right at the end of our passage. It's, uh, well, an old memory verse, really, verse 19. Here's why you can be confident, because God has promised you this hope. It's like an anchor. He's promised it, and he doesn't lie. He's guaranteed it. He has, well, in the, in the words of verse 19, anchor this hope for you at the very end of the journey that you're on. And he's calling you to walk to that journey, knowing that Jesus has already, your high priest, he's already gone on the journey for you. He's gone through the heavens, we're told. He, he's gone to that place of rest that we're heading towards and he's thrown down there the mighty, immovable, wonderful, sufficient cross that is the anchor. Your hope is safe with God because that's where Jesus is. And so having fled from death to take hold of life in the Lord Jesus, today and each day that follows is not a day for retreat, says God, Today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Keep going. Keep growing. He waits for you there. Well, let's pray. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then after that, let's stand together and sing our final song, reminding us that the strength for this journey is in the one who has placed that anchor, the Lord Jesus. will sing, Yet Not I, together, but here... Let me pray for us. Father God, today we've heard your voice and from it the gracious word of your son, Jesus, our saviour and our great high priest. We need his merciful help to respond to your word with soft-hearted obedience. And so we ask that you would change us, Lord. We pray that you would grow us to maturity. Lead us to your promised rest for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.